My name is Pastor Mark Stevens, and I'll be reading the word out of Luke chapter 4, beginning verse 31. This is in the English Standard Version. It begins verse 31 of chapter 4 of Luke. And he went down to Capernaum, a city of Galilee, and he was teaching them on the Sabbath. And they were astonished at his teaching, for his word possessed authority. And in the synagogue, there was a man who had the spirit of an unclean demon, and he cried out with a loud voice, Ha! What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know you, who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And when the demon had thrown him down in their midst, he, became, he came out of him, having done him no harm. And they were all amazed and said to one another, What is this word? For the authority and power he commands the unclean spirits, and they come out. And reports about him went out into every place in the surrounding region. And he arose and left the synagogue and entered Simon's house. Now Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever, and he appealed to him on her behalf. And he stood over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. And immediately she arose and began to serve them. Now when the sun was setting, all those who had any who were sick with various diseases brought them to him, and he laid his hands on every one of them and healed them. And demons also came out of many, crying, You are the Son of God. But he rebuked them and would not allow them to speak because they knew he was the Christ. And when it was day, he departed and went into a desolate place, and the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. And he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your, your word today. Thank you that Jesus not only talked about the kingdom, that he demonstrated the kingdom in power and authority. And I pray today that your kingdom power and authority uh, would be demonstrated to your people today. God, we pray for the lost to be found. God, we pray for those who are under the, uh, the uh, oppression of the enemy, that they would be set free today. God, that those who are sick in body would be healed in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Last week, Nicholas preached a fantastic message entitled Kingdom Manifesto. Jesus was announcing, here's what it will look like when the kingdom comes. And today uh, we're looking at kingdom manifestation. So Jesus is not only talking about what it looks like, he's actually bringing the kingdom. He's demonstrating it in power and with authority today. And what's interesting is, is as he begins to open his mouth and begins to speak and begins to to do all these things, people are amazed at his authority and they're beginning to see something that they have never seen before. So imagine yourself, you know, maybe going to uh, an event and you experience something you've never seen before. Maybe it was you went to Disney World or Sea World or something and you've never seen anybody be able to do something so incredible before. Well, here it is, Jesus 
who's coming on the scene and begins to do things that nobody has ever seen before. And he begins to speak with authority. Fevers begin to leave. Demons uh, begin to leave. And people begin to realize, oh, this is what it looks like when the kingdom of heaven comes down to earth. Very, very powerful. And what, what's kind of odd to me about this passage is that, um, uh, you know, obviously everybody is, is amazed and it appears that they're kind of scratching their heads trying to figure out what's going on here, except for the demons. They know exactly what's going on here. And uh, two times, two different demons are identifying Jesus as the Son of God or the Christ, the Messiah. They know exactly who this man is. And of course, when they begin to speak and begin to reveal the identity of Jesus, the Bible says that Jesus told them to shut up. Um, that's my translation. Um, told them to be quiet, uh, to, to, to be silent, to shut up. And then he told the demons to come out of that human person that they were possessing, uh, demonstrating that Jesus has all authority over demons. So today I, I want to preach uh, shorter than I normally do. And, and I appreciate it if you didn't say amen to that. And, uh, and the reason I want to preach a bit shorter is because I, I want us to all engage at the end of the meeting in prayer. And we are going to take authority in Jesus name over sickness today. Over spirits, unclean spirits. We're going to take authority over strongholds. We're going to take authority over lies that we've been believing. And we're going to take authority over sin in our lives through repentance. So we just believe they're going to be a powerful demonstration of the spirit's power. The Apostle Paul, when he went to the church in Corinth, um, he wrote a letter talking about his visit to them. And he said, when I came to you, brothers, I did not come with wisdom or with eloquence. He said, I came with a demonstration of the spirit's power. You don't need wise and eloquent words today. You need a demonstration of the spirit's power in your life. You need to, you need to experience what this kingdom authority is all about. We could preach through the entire book of Luke, which we plan to God willing and never experience kingdom power and authority. And if that's if that happens, then we have completely failed. And preaching this gospel. Because this gospel is not meant to only be preached. This kingdom is not only meant to be preached. It's, it's meant to be imparted. And experienced. And so as we close the meeting today. Don't run out and leave. We're going to give you time to respond. Um, because I believe that some, some things are going to come under the authority of Jesus Christ today. Things that maybe you didn't even realize needed to in your life. So in this passage, Jesus exercises authority in three different ways. Uh, he exercises authority in his teachings over demons and then over sickness. So first, he begins to exercise authority in his teachings. And verse 32 says, and they were astonished at his teaching for his word possessed authority. Somebody say authority. Matthew's gospel tells us that the crowds, they were amazed uh, because Jesus, of course, taught as one with authority and not like the other teachers of the law. So something was different about Jesus. The way he taught was different. He didn't teach like the other teachers, like the other rabbis. Did you know Jesus was a rabbi? 
He didn't teach like them. They said he teaches like one with authority. And over through the Gospels, many times they asked the question, where did this man get this authority? Now, let me help explain that just for a little bit. I discovered something recently. They just, this was fascinating to me, and I think it will be to you as well. If it's not, just amen anyway. Uh, so back in that day, there were, there were thousands of rabbis, thousands of teachers of the law, and they were all... Um, they were all teaching the Torah, the law, the first five books of the Old Testament. And they were only permitted to teach the, um, uh, the, the acknowledged interpretation, the, uh, the given interpretation or understanding of the law. They could only teach what everybody was teaching. But every once in a while, a rabbi would, would kind of step up with a new interpretation, a new understanding of what the law meant. And that rabbi was said to have to be a, a man or a teacher with authority. So they recognize this rabbi, this teacher is different than all the other teachers. He teaches as one with authority. His interpretation, his understanding of the law is different than anybody else. And by the way, that understanding or that interpretation of the law was called a yoke. Okay. How many of you had eggs for breakfast? That's not what I'm talking about. So remember, in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus said something. He said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. In other words, he was saying, take my understanding, my interpretation of the law upon you. For my yoke, nobody's ever said this, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. My understanding, my interpretation of the law is easy compared to what you're used to. And my burden is light. All right. We've always thought of the yoke. When Jesus said, take my yoke, we always think of the yoke of oxen thing. Yoke literally meant um, um, understanding or interpretation of the law. Take my teachings upon you. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. So Jesus steps in. He, he's, he's got a whole new interpretation. And we're going to see that as we preach through Luke. We're going to see this is different. He says things like, you have heard that it was said. But I say to you, what is that? New understanding, a new yoke, new teaching. Okay. Are you with me? All right. So first he comes with this new authority. He teaches as one with authorities different than the other rabbis. Then he demonstrates authority over demons for with authority and power. He commands the unclean spirits and they come out. Where do demons originate from? Let me just take you back just a little bit. We understand that there was an epic cosmic battle that pre-exists creation. And that epic cosmic battle that pre-exists creation is found in Scripture. It's found in Isaiah 14, Ezekiel 28, as well as Revelation chapter 12. And we're going to read that, verse number 7. Now, war arose in heaven, Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. The dragon is Satan himself. And the dragon and his angels fought back. But he was defeated and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down. The ancient serpent who is called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. 
That's where Satan, of course, and demons come from. They are fallen angels, okay? So Satan and these fallen angels that we call demons, you read about in Scripture, sometimes they're evil spirits or unclean spirits. They took their fight from the heavenly realm down to the earthly realm against our first parents, Adam and Eve. And we know that in their fight with Adam and Eve, um, they won. And Satan tempted Adam and Eve, and they gave in. And they align themselves with Satan. They align themselves with his rebellion and against God and, and their desire to be like him. How many of you remember that story? Right. In Genesis. And from that moment forward, uh, um, our world has been devastated by sin. Our world has been devastated by sin. You can look at your own life, your own family. You can look at the, the, your, your relatives. You can go to work. You can watch the news. You can go to school. Uh, you see it everywhere. The devastation of sin is everywhere. And Jesus came back to set things right. He's going to come back and he's going to establish his rule and his reign on the earth once again. He's going to take care of this sin problem. He's going to take care of this separation from God problem. He's going to take care of this death problem. And we know that when he came the first time, born in that, in that stable and he hung on that cross and he rose from the grave, we know at that point he defeated sin, Satan, and death. He defeated it. He rendered them powerless. Right. Authority over. And we know that at his second coming, he will completely destroy sin, death and Satan forever and ever. Amen. And we look forward to that day. So we know there's a real battle going on. And we know that Satan is now called the God of this world or the ruler of this world. And so this this demonic wrestle, this demonic warfare that we are in is very, very real. And C.S. Lewis said something very profound about it. He said this. He said, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is to disbelieve their existence. And the other is to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. Ever met somebody who had an excessive and unhealthy interest in devils? Or how about the person who, who, ah, they don't, they don't believe devils exist. They just don't believe in that whole spirit world thing, right? And everything happens by, by chance and, you know, and fate, right? And there's no enemy really going on. And then there are those, right, who think, man, there's a devil behind every, every door and under every pew in the church. I mean, you know, it's crazy, right? And, you know, the devil's after me and it's always the devil, always the devil, always the devil, right? So there are extremes when it comes to this thing called spiritual warfare. And I want you to understand up front a few things that we need to know about Satan and we need to set straight this morning. Number one, in no way is Satan equal to God. There's absolutely no way he's equal to God. We understand that God is creator and angels are created beings, including Satan and all of his demons. They were created by God and they rebelled against him. So they are uh, inferior to God and not equal to him. We also understand that Satan does not share in God's attributes. We certainly know that Satan is not holy in any way. We know that he can't tell the truth. He's a liar and he's a father of lies. We know that he is not omnipresent or present in all situations. How many of you know you cannot escape the presence of God? God is everywhere. David said, if I go to the depths, God, you're there. If I go to the heights, God, you're there. We can't escape his presence. Satan does not have that kind of presence. So you can say, well, Satan's after me. And I would say, probably not, unless you're a VIP in the kingdom. Because he can only be in one place at one time. 
All right. And he may not be after you. Now, he was in the Garden of Eden tempting Jesus. And how many of you know uh, Jesus was a VIP in the kingdom? All right. So Satan has this host of angels that are working for him that are trying to promote his his rebellious agenda. Right. And so you may have a, a demon who is influencing you that might be tempting you. All right. Or accusing you. Scripture says that Satan and his angels, they're the accuser of the brethren. They may be lying to you and deceiving you and all of that sort of thing and twisting the truth. But Satan himself is probably not chasing you down. Satan is not all knowing like God is all knowing. Um, He does have some keen insights into humanity. He's been studying human persons for a very long time. Okay, Uh, Satan is an eternal being. He's been around for a very long time and he understands human behavior. He knows um, why we do what we do. Um, but he's not all knowing. In other words, he cannot read your mind. Um, the Bible says that God discerns our thoughts from afar. He's the one who knows what we're thinking, but we know the enemy does not have that kind of power. Okay. If you talk to him and you can have conversation, you could let him know what you're thinking, but I wouldn't recommend it. Okay. He's not going to know what you're thinking. Okay. He's going to know how you think he's going to see your behaviors. He's going to know how to tempt you, but he can't get into your mind and read your mind like that. Satan finally is not all powerful. He is not all powerful and he's not sovereign like God. We're not talking about equality here. He is not equal to God. And I love this passage in first John chapter three, verse eight. The Bible says that the reason the son of God appeared was to destroy Satan's works. The reason Jesus showed up was to destroy Satan's works. And guess what? The demons knew that the demons twice. They asked the question, have you come to destroy us? Well, as a matter of fact, I have. They knew what was going on here. Jesus appeared to destroy the devil's works. And so um, as the church of Jesus Christ, it is our calling to continue to further God's kingdom. We don't we don't establish it. Jesus established it. We don't bring it. Jesus brought it. But we further God's kingdom in the earth. That means we further his defeat and destroying of the devil's works. And so we have an important ministry here at Good News Church called a deliverance ministry. Uh, we also have the ultimate journey ministry and both of those ministries are, are really defeating and destroying the works of of our enemy. And let me explain, because when I say deliverance ministry, you always have something that comes to your mind. Um, and the truth is, is that we deliver both believers and unbelievers. And let me explain that we deliver believers and unbelievers. We deliver unbelievers. Right. Unbelievers from the dominion of Satan. And we deliver believers from the deception of Satan. So there's a dominion of Satan where you're under his rule. You're under his control. You could say possession or demonize, right? You're under his dominion, right? But as believers, we cannot be under his dominion anymore because the scripture says in Colossians 1.13, for he, God, has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and has brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves. So as a believer, you cannot be under the dominion or the control or the filling or the possession of the enemy. But you can be under the deception of the enemy. You can be bound under his lies. We can open the door of our minds to deception. 
We can open our mind to the lies of the enemy. And what happens is, is those lies turn into, um, when we embrace them and, and we believe them, it turns into a behavior called sin. And we see that with Adam and Eve. They heard this lie. You know, God didn't really say this. He said it. You'd be like him. So, you know, they believed the lie and then they sinned. Okay. And then what happens is if you continue to believe the lie over and over again, what happens is you sin over and over again. And so if you're struggling with sin in your life uh, over and over again, there's a lie attached to it. You're believing a lie about what you're doing and you're repeating it. Somebody said over and over again. All right. So you're not under the dominion of Satan, but you're under the deception of Satan. And God wants to deliver his people, all people from both dominion and deception. All right. So sin that's left unrepented, right, that you just continue to indulge in, you continue to do opens the door to this influence of Satan. Okay, so any kind of sin. All right. Any kind of sin. If you continue to give yourself over to some kind of a drug or some kind of alcohol or pornography or witchcraft, those are the big ones. Right. You're like, oh, yeah, well, those are obvious. Right. You give yourself to porn over and over and over again. Something happens. What's happening is that there, 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 there becomes this stronghold, the Bible says, in your mind. And we'll look at it in a moment. But here are some other sins that create these, these strongholds of the enemy in believers' minds. Things like greed can become strongholds. Pleasure-seeking. I heard one amen. Pleasure-seeking can become a stronghold. Right. Unforgiveness can become a stronghold. You're opening the door to the enemy's influence in your life, to deception in your life, to deception over and over again. And Judas is a great example of that. Judas Iscariot, one of the 12 disciples. Right. I think you could uh, give clear evidence from Scripture that he was never in Christ. He was never born again. He never had the spirit of God. Um, I think you can make a clear, uh, uh, compelling argument for that. Um, he was a disciple of Jesus. A disciple simply means a learner or a follower of. But I don't know that he had submitted his life to the lordship of Christ. That's another sermon. Um, but we know this, that Judas gave his life over to greed. He gave his life over to greed and he was the treasurer of the twelve. Jesus was the president. <laughs> right? They had a secretary, right? Probably Matthew. All right, and then they had this treasure, and his name was Judas. And the Bible says that he would help himself to the money bag. He would help himself to the offering bag, right? He, he wrestled with this greed. He gave himself to greed, and this greed deceived him, and it eventually began to control him, right? Because he what? He betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. He gave himself to this in such a way that it controlled him. And the Bible says that Satan actually entered Judas. I don't know if you can get any closer to Satan than that. Satan actually entered Judas, dominated him, and then took his life because the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Now, Judas had the opportunity to repent of that greed a long ways back. But he didn't. And it just began to become this huge stronghold that became this this massive um, domination in his life. Peter is an example of someone who did repent. 
At one point, Jesus went to the disciples and he, he was teaching them and he said to them, he said, I'm, I've got to go to the cross. Right. And what did Peter say? Oh, no, 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 Jesus. No, 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 no. Wait just a minute here. That's not the idea of a of a king ruling and reigning. Right. You're not going to the cross, Jesus. Right. What had happened was Peter had had been under this deception, right, that you can have a Christ without the cross, that you can live the Christian life without the cross. And Jesus rebuked him that day. And he said something very, very kind of odd. He said, get behind me. Satan. He's like, get behind me. Now, what was he saying? Was he saying you're possessed? You're under the domination of Satan? No, he was saying your mind is deceived right now by Satan. You're under the influence. You're being deceived by him right now. Right. And how do we know that's what Jesus meant when he said, get behind me, Satan? Is because the very next verse, Jesus said this. You do not have in mind the things of God. But the things of man, you do not have in mind. This is where that deception takes place, right? It happens in the mind. So let's pretend for a moment just to kind of make this practical. Let's pretend for a moment that your mind is like your house. All right. It's your house. You own it. You live there, right? You have the keys to your house. You can let people in or you can keep people out, right? It's your house. Right. So but you decide one day, you know what? I just want to be compassionate and friendly to everybody in the world. So you put an ad on Craigslist, Craigslist that says, hey, my front door is unlocked. If you need a place to stay, you know, no background checks necessary. Just come on in, you know, just right. Just camp out here. Right. And so you get some total losers that show up. They don't even knock. They just open the door and they come right on in. Right. They sleep on your couch. They raid your refrigerator. I mean, is this this is really stupid, isn't it? This would never happen, would it? Right. Right. You you'd never do something like that. Right. But what happens is, is they, they take up they, 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 they kind of move into your mind, into your house and they act like they own the place. Right. And you have to say, you know what? You don't belong in my house. Get out of my house and give me those keys. They're my keys and I'm locking you out. I mean, you've got to take authority over those things. What happens is, is we allow we allow things into our mind that don't belong there. We allow these lies to come into our mind that don't belong there. We were in Istanbul, Turkey for almost a week, our team and. It's an ancient city, old buildings. And, you know, it just it looks it's just really, really old. And and we're walking around and there are these stray cats all over the city. I mean, they're going down the streets and they're sleeping, you know, on the sidewalks and and they're just everywhere. Cats everywhere. And and then there's these little mats that are set out on the sidewalks just all through the city. And people come and they put food on these mats. And these cats come along and they eat up the food and they go about their business. I'm like, who owns these cats? Who's taking care of them? Don't they have like chips or something in their in their, you know, those, you know, lost my cat chip, you know, and track them down. And no, they don't. Nobody owns these cats. They're just they're just free to roam. We just feed them and they do what they do. And I said, well, why? And they said, "Uh, have you seen any rats in the city since you've been here? Not one rat. You can't find rats anywhere in this ancient city. Nowhere. When you feed the cats, you won't have rats. 
I got to ask the question this morning, what are you feeding? What are you feeding? Right? If you've got rats in your house, you're feeding the rats instead of the cats. You got to ask, what am I feeding my mind if I'm giving my mind over to 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 sports all the time and that's it and you wonder why you've got some rats in your life or you're giving yourself over to pornography and it's over and over again right you're feeding your mind with this stuff and it's becoming it's becoming the stronghold in your life and we've got to feed our minds with something that's that's true we know that uh, the Apostle Paul, he described spiritual warfare taking place in our minds. And this is what he said. He said this in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 4. He said, for the weapons of our warfare, they're not of the flesh, meaning they're not carnal. They're not of this world, but they have divine power, God's power to destroy strongholds. He said, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion that raised, excuse me, opinion raised against the knowledge of God. And we take thought captive, every thought captive to obey Christ. So what is a stronghold? Let's just talk about that. Because he says here that, that we have this divine power to demolish strongholds. What's a stronghold? Um, well, when you think physically of a stronghold, you think of like a castle on top of a hill, you know, that it's like a fortress, right? Um, think of maybe the walls of Jericho that that surrounded the city, that protected the city, right, from the Israelites coming in. So um, that's a physical stronghold. It's a place that's been secured tightly in case of an attack. But a spiritual stronghold is this. This is a great definition of a spiritual stronghold. It's a place where a particular belief or ideology is firmly believed and staunchly defended. Think of uh, the stubborn places in your life. The, um, the things that just don't go away. The thoughts of maybe suicide. They, they always come back to you. Always come back. Um, or maybe you just really have a very difficult time forgiving people. Uh, and unforgiveness is like, it's it's a stubborn place in your life. Or maybe lust is just really, really stubborn. Or greed is is just is gripped your heart or, or jealousy. You just you're always jealous for what somebody else has in life. Or maybe it's um, um, and, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Coveting or something like that. But it's this stubborn place in your life. Or maybe it's an addiction that you just you, you keep promising yourself. You keep promising somebody else. Man, I'm going to break this thing. I'm never going to do this again. And then will you again? You do it again. It's a stubborn place. And it could be that it's become this this demonic stronghold in your life, a place where a particular belief or ideology is firmly believed and defended. In our deliverance meetings here at Good News, we what we do is when we're praying for believers is we identify the lies that have become strongholds. If you believe a lie long enough, it will become this stronghold uh, in your life that is defended by the enemy. Um, and uh, and what we do in these meetings is, is uh, we don't cast out sin. Uh, the Bible doesn't have any place where you cast out sin. Um, 
right? You repent of sin. And so we encourage people who um, haven't repented from their sin uh, to repent from their sin and to rebuke the lies that they have been believing. And we introduce the truth of God's word to them. We speak over them what God has to say. Um, and, and Jesus said this. He said, if you continue in the truth, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you Right. So you can experience freedom at some point in your life. But if you don't continue in that truth, you will not continue in that freedom. And so we encourage people to do that um, through renewing of their mind. Um, Paul said that the mind is where we do battle. The mind is where we do battle. We destroy arguments. Right. And every lofty opinion that raised that is raised against the knowledge of God. And we take thought and we take captive Every thought and make it obey Christ. I was visiting with a young man uh, this morning and he was talking about uh, how how recently he's just been under attack under this warfare. And I said, describe that to me. What is what do you mean by that? And he goes, my thoughts. He goes, my thoughts. I'm just bombarded with all these thoughts. And, and I know they're not thoughts from God. I know they're lies from the enemy. Right. And can I tell you this morning, that's that's where our warfare takes place. You have a thousand thoughts that enter your head every day and you have to question each one of them. You can't just take them for granted and go, well, they, they must all be God. Right. I mean, if you have a thousand thoughts in one day and hopefully you have more than that. Um, how many of them are from God? Right. And how many of them are, are really coming from maybe maybe you or maybe maybe they're being introduced by by the enemy. But you have to take every thought and you have to go, you know what? Is that a God thought, a me thought or a devil thought? And you have to confront it and you have to take that thought captive and you have to hold that thought captive and go, you're going to obey Christ. That's not what God has to say about me in my situation. That's not who I am. I'm not a loser. I am not an addict. I am a child of the living God and I am more than a conqueror through Christ who loved me. That's who I am. And that temptation that you're offering me is a lie. It is a lie. It will not make me like God. It will separate me from God. You know, you identify it. And so this young man was telling me that this morning, he uh, last night, he was just filled with these temptations. And uh, he said, this morning, I wrote down, I wrote down all the lies that were attached to that temptation. Is that awesome? And I begin to introduce God's truth to those lies and begin to pray in Jesus name. Paul told the Christians living in Ephesus that we stand in what has already been accomplished on our behalf. Um, we're going to wrap it up here in just a few minutes. Ephesians six eleven, um, powerful passage about warfare. And Paul tells the church in Ephesus, he says, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand. Somebody say stand. Take your stand against the devil's schemes. Okay. So we're commanded to do what? Take our stand, which means literally hold your ground. Watchman Nee, he said this, take your stand or hold your ground is not a command to invade foreign territory. Warfare in modern times would imply a command to march Armies march into other countries to occupy and subdue. But God has not told us to do this. We are told to mar not to march, but to stand. Listen, 
The word stand implies that the ground disputed by the enemy is really God's turf. And therefore, it's our turf. And we don't fight for it, right? We don't try to get it. We stand on it. It's ours. So therefore, we don't fight to take ground. We fight to stand our ground. The older son in the, uh, the parable of the prodigal son is a good example of this. Um, he thought that he had to fight for his father's approval and, and earn his inheritance. But what did the father tell the older son? Yeah, everything I have is yours. Everything I have is yours. You don't have to fight for it. You don't have to fight for forgiveness. You don't have to fight for God's approval. You don't have to fight, you know, to get some power over sin. You, you've already got it. Everything I have is yours. <laughs> Everything God has is yours, son, is yours, daughter. It belongs to you. My prayer today is not that you will one day be strong enough to win the battle. But I pray that God may open your eyes so that you can see yourself seated with Christ in heavenly realms. Far above rule and authority, power and dominion. Finally, as we wrap it up, worship team, if you would come. I promised you we'd allow plenty of time and we're going to do that. The final piece of authority that Jesus brings here. Not only authority in his teaching, authority over, over spirits and strongholds, but uh, authority over sickness. And the Bible says that Simon, Simon's mother-in-law was ill with a high fever. So something was seriously wrong with her. She was ill and the symptoms was um, she had a high fever. And the Bible says, and they appealed to him on her behalf. And they appealed to Jesus on her behalf. You may not be sick here today, but you know somebody who is. And you're going to appeal to Jesus on that person's behalf. We have a missionary who has, um, his name is Steve, and he, uh, he has uh, salmonella poisoning. And it's quite serious, and the medicine isn't helping. He's a long ways away, right? But we can appeal to Jesus on his behalf, and that's intercession. You don't have to be right there to do it. Jesus never laid hands on Simon Peter's mother-in-law. The Bible says that he rebuked the fever and the fever left her. So how many of you know you can rebuke Salmonella that's on the other side of the world and that Salmonella can leave in Jesus' name, just like that. In fact, everybody that Jesus healed that day was actually brought to him by somebody else. So as we pray at the end of the service, you may not be sick in body, but you know somebody who's desperate to be healed by God. Somebody who's desperate to be healed by God. Maybe they're asking for prayer. Or maybe you are sick in body. We want to take authority over that in Jesus' name. Jesus rebuked that fever. He said, it doesn't belong here. It doesn't belong here. This is not what the kingdom of, of heaven looks like. We, we want to bring the kingdom of heaven. So my question to you is, what sickness do you need to rebuke today? Think about that because you're going to come forward in a moment. What spirit do you need to rebuke? Or what stronghold in your life, right? What lie do you need to rebuke? And finally, what sin do you need to repent of? Stand with me if you would. God, we just declare that this place is holy ground. We declare that this is a place of freedom. We declare that this is your place, your rule, your authority in Jesus' name. 
in Jesus' name. We're going to sing this chorus and we're going to just declare that this is a place where God's authority will be demonstrated. And let's just, let's just sing and make this our prayer. And then we're going to call you forward here in just a few moments.